with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to continue uh, in our study there. And I want to read through the chapter tonight uh, before we get started. It's a relatively short chapter and then pray and get into what the Lord has in store for us. If you were uh, here last week, remember we came off of what took place um, after the birth of Christ, the wise men coming to the east, the, uh, not only Herod trying to, trying to kill uh, Jesus and all the male children under two years old being killed. And so this point of application that we made uh, throughout the study last week is the fulfillment of God's will in our life and his just protection over, over our lives as he's fulfilling that will. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into uh, just this scene where John the Baptist comes on the scene in the, in the baptism of Christ. And I'm excited for what the Lord has for us tonight. If you would uh, look with me and um, Matthew 3 verse 1, it says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I indeed need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Thus he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly the voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we're asking, Lord, that you would just give us our portion. Lord, there's so many needs in this room tonight, Lord. Our greatest need is to learn of you, Lord. And we know that through the teaching of your word that... Um, you speak directly to our hearts. Your word says that as it goes forth, it accomplishes uh, whatever you purpose for, that it never returns back void. And Father, that your word is like a hammer that breaks the, the rock in pieces. And so, Lord, we're, we're asking you to break up the hard areas of our hearts. And Lord, may it be as if we're just with you alone tonight and that you're speaking to us. Uh, Lord, just give us our portion. We pray that you'd open your word before us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Amen. As we come to Matthew chapter 3, um, it's extremely important to understand this shift that is taking place right now. As we've mentioned in the past, this theme of the Gospel of Matthew is Matthew presenting Jesus as the King of the Jews. And we saw the King was on the scene in the last chapter. He was a young child at the time. And as we had mentioned that from the moment that he entered into his creation, opposition was coming against him. From the moment he entered into this world, there was, there was extreme opposition to his purpose and to his mission and even to his person here on this earth. But what we're going to see, what we're going to see now is the fulfillment of prophecy before us. That's what we saw last week. That's what we're seeing tonight. And that's what we're going to see for a large majority of the Gospel of Matthew. Is God fulfilling his plan in his way, in his timing? I don't want to give you too much of a, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but when you come to John the Baptist, you come to something extremely interesting for multiple reasons. One, because the, the last chapter in the last book of the Old Testament prophesies of the coming of John the Baptist and his mission and his ministry. The Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, as we'll study tonight, prophesied about John the Baptist. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we looked at these prophecies pertaining to Jesus last week. Now we're looking at these prophecies pertaining to John the Baptist. And what we're seeing here is that God is, is fulfilling the counsel of his own will. The same is true in your life and mine. God is fulfilling His will. And if you're seeking to walk with Him, if you're saying, yes, Lord, I want to be your servant. I want to walk with you. I want to be used by you. You can rest assured that the Lord's will is going to be accomplished in your life. But just as there was opposition to the, the scene of Jesus entering into this world, there's also opposition to the ministry of John the Baptist. From the moment the Lord starts working, there's always going to be opposition. I've said it before in the past, I'll say it again because I believe it's a biblical principle. Wherever God is seeking to build and to bless, the enemy is trying to divide and destroy. Continually. But what do we see? We see this man and John the Baptist operating under the authority and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to know at the top end of this study is what you don't see. You don't see the years of preparation. You don't see the, the years of loneliness. You don't see the years where he was just out in the wilderness being nobody. It's been said that God's prophets are emergency men for crisis hours. And John was a man who came onto the scene in an hour of crisis. The religious system was a mess. The political system was a mess. The people were downcast and distraught. They were losing hope. All well these years of faithful preparation of John the Baptist. There's one thing that we can learn about God himself as revealed in Scripture, and it's the methods of God's preparation. Because you're going to see John operating in his ministry. You're going to see Jesus being baptized and the Father affirming him. The voice of heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But what happened in these 28 years of silence in the life of Christ? 
what happened in these 30 years of silence in the life of John the Baptist? It's preparation for the call. It's these years where the Lord will mold and the Lord will shape in solitude. God's prophets were very, very lonely people. Leadership can be a very, very lonely place. But the Lord is there. And for all these years, the Lord is just confirming this passion, confirming this vision, confirming this purpose in John the Baptist's life. Because if you look at John the Baptist's life as recorded in the beginning of Luke's gospel, that his mother, his mother Elizabeth and his father, Zacharias, prayed for him for years. She was in her 80s when she got pregnant with him. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was so discouraged and believed. There's this one burden. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. There's just this, this one burden that you believe that the Lord has instilled upon your heart. And the more you pray about it, the more crazy it drives you because the more impossible you think it is to, to, to the fulfillment of it coming to pass in your life. And that's what took place in Zacharias and Elizabeth's life. So much so, when he's ministering in the temple of the Lord, the angel appears to him and he says, your prayers have come up to the Lord and your prayers are going to be answered. And he gives him this prophecy of his son, John the Baptist, who's going to be the, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Zechariah is so discouraged at that time that even the angel of the Lord appears to him, excuse me, an angel of the Lord appears to him and he doesn't believe it. How discouraged do you have to be? What a dark place to be in. And yet the Lord intervenes in that season. The Lord does a mighty work in Zacharias and Elizabeth's life. He's the only person in all of Scripture who said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. This man was set apart for a specific task, for a specific purpose, at a specific time, and his time has come. Notice it says, In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one. Notice his, his ministry. He's crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, saying, Make his path straight. In ancient times, there were people who would go before a king when they were on their way to their destination and they would remove the debris and they would clear the roads and they would, they would, prepare the, they would repair the, the, uh, the breaches in the, in the gap and anything that was in the way of them getting to their destination, they would remove. That's all John the Baptist was. He was preparing the way for the Messiah. Remember what he would say in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And even this man who is going to be used mightily by the Lord, even though the Bible says, Jesus himself says, and we'll get there, was the greatest man ever born of woman, who is still a man of like passions to you and I. Even John had his doubts. Remember, this is the man that is... Um, preaching in the wilderness, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Spirit of God is upon him. God is using his life. And then what happens? He goes and he gets thrown into prison. And he's discouraged. And his disciple, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? 
He was so assured of who Jesus was in this moment. He was so assured of the work of God in this moment. But in his moment of despair, he became Doubting John. Look, we can all be there in our lives. But what I'm thankful is that for is that Scripture doesn't hide these from us about these things from us about the people that God uses most mightily. Is there people of like passion, anointed by the Spirit of God, chosen by the Lord to do His work, but subject to the same difficulties and challenges that we are as believers? It says in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Notice where he's preaching. He's preaching in the wilderness. We'll, get, we'll touch that later. He says, in saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Bible gives a great place to the significance of John the Baptist. Jesus himself says that he was the greatest man ever born in woman. If you take notes, take note of the scripture in Luke 7, 24 through 28. It says, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. This is Jesus speaking. He said, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? I love this, this, um, this picture that Jesus is giving. He's not a reed shaken by the tides and the emotions of, of culture and, and people. He's like a brass pole standing face first in the, in the face of opposition. He's not moved. He's not swayed by, the, by the, the, the waves of culture. He's not swayed by the waves of the religious system. He's not swayed by, the, by the, the opinions of man. He stood there strong and bold, proclaiming the message of repentance in the kingdom of God. What did you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled live in luxury. They're in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. This is he who is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there's not greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than than he. Jesus placed this, this great emphasis on, on who this man was. His ministry was prophesied about. It was also confirmed, as we spoke about, um, in the book of Luke to, by the angel to Zacharias. Um, in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, it says, But an angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong, strong drink. He will also be filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before in the Spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make, to make, ready, <clears throat> excuse me, to make ready a people for the Lord. This man had a great calling on his life. But notice his humility. It says in verse 3, excuse me, verse 4, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. He was content to not try to fit in. 
We need more of this in the ministry today. People who are filled with the passion of God, less for a passion to be a pleaser of men. He had a desire to to do and fulfill the will of God in the timing that the Lord called him to. He wasn't trying to to be arrayed in fancy apparel. He wasn't trying... John the Baptist wouldn't be the man hitting the social media feed first. I'm encouraged by by his ministry right now because it shows us that when the Spirit of God is working, there's no striving. He didn't seek to be anything. The Bible says in the, in the Gospel of Luke, verse 80 of chapter 1, it says, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. He was content to dwell in the wilderness. He was content to be nobody. He wasn't trying to put himself forward. No, it's just when the Spirit of God moved, he was ready to preach. When God gave him opportunity He was ready to be used. There's a lesson to be learned in this for all all of those who desire to be used by God. There was this readiness by him. You don't think he was as discouraged by the religious culture as everyone else? You don't think he was felt just as oppressed as everyone else by the Roman government? You don't think he was subject to his own understanding and the things that were taking place around him? But he was a man with a divine mission, with a divine purpose, and he set himself aside. He sanctified himself. Remember what Jesus said in, in John chapter 17? He says that I sanctify myself for their sake. He chose to set himself apart. And when the Lord calls you into this deeper knowledge of who he is, when, this, when the Lord calls you into a deeper life of surrender, it's for a purpose. You have to trust in that. And sometimes we neglect to obey that, that come hither, I'll say, of the Holy Spirit to get alone with him, to set yourself apart, and to just walk that straight and narrow. And because we neglect to do that, we neglect to see the fulfillment of the promises of God and the will of God and the operation of the power of God in our lives. If you're his child, if you walk with him, if you got a relationship with him, I'm sure you've heard the still small voice that says, come away with me. Prepare yourself. Because I'm going to use you. But what happens? We get discouraged in those wilderness seasons. Every person that God used to any capacity had a wilderness season in their life. But John didn't waste his wilderness season. John didn't doubt the will of God in his life. His heart burned for a relationship with God. And when, when, when God was ready, he was ready. That's the challenge here tonight. When God is ready, will you be ready? Because the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord, they range to and fro throughout the whole earth, strengthening those hearts that are fully committed to him. Ezekiel twenty two thirty says that he sought for a man who would stand in the gap. But he found none. Isaiah 59, 16 says the same thing. That the Lord was looking for someone to stand in the gap. But he found no one. Let that never be said of us. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty discontent with this world and this culture and the way that it's going. I'm pretty discontent with what this world has to offer. I'm really aware that if this world keeps going in the way that it's going, um, it's not going to last. And I want to be a purpose, I want to be a man of purpose. I want to be a man on a mission. I want to be a man who the Lord can just trust to wait on him in faith, to be faithful, to prepare when he asks me to prepare. So when he opens the door, it's not a matter of, 
of if the door is going to open, it's when the door is going to open, and when the door is open, will you be ready? Because the, the message that changed my life was the truth that God had a plan for my life. The message that changed my life is that God had a calling on my life. And if that's true, I was like, Lord, I, I want to be about it, whatever you have. I'm tired of living for this world. I'm tired of doing things for this world. I want, to, I want my life to matter in eternity. John is so opposite of the culture. John's not trying to be like the culture to meet the culture. John's just being himself. John's just being the man who God called him to be. When, when you read in the Gospel of Luke, that's just a prophecy in the book of, of, um, of, of Malachi, that he didn't drink strong drink. That's just the Nazarite vow. It's this life of separation. And he took it seriously. You'll be used to the degree that you want to be used in your life. Now, I fully believe that God has a specific calling, a specific purpose for each and every one of our lives. I believe that with all of our heart, my heart. And I don't believe you should strive to attain anything that God doesn't want for you. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying is that what I am saying is that I believe that many of us fall short as it pertains to the calling of God upon our life because we won't take him seriously enough to sanctify ourselves enough to say, okay, Lord, I, I'm done with this. I'm done with that. Lord, you show me what you want me to lay down for you. You show me what you want me to pick up for you because I just want to be used. And I want to be where you want me to be when you're ready to use me. That's why Paul would tell Timothy to give yourself entirely over to your calling. That's a heart-searching question. To give yourself entirely over to your calling, which means we all have a calling upon our life. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, to make your calling and election sure, for if you do this, you will never stumble. John was a man who was content to prepare in the wilderness. And now, what, it's amazing to me because what you see taking place in the life of Jesus, a few months before John the Baptist is, born, or is conceived, and then he's born, and then Jesus is born, you just see God working. When God is working on one end, he's always working on the other end. God is always preparing. God is fulfilling his will in John's life. God is fulfilling the will in the life of his son. And he is preparing them. And they are intersecting at the perfect time, at the perfect place for the fulfillment of the will of God. It says again in verse 4, it says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Notice this in verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized him, by him in the Jordan, notice this, confessing their sins. What was the message of John the Baptist? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What was Jesus' first message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When the, when the disciples went out, when he sent the, out the twelve, what was their message? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. What was the message in the book of Acts? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And sometimes we, we despise this word repentance. Repentance is not feeling sorry for sin. Repentance is, 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 is acknowledging your sin. and it, it, The word literally means to change one's mind. It literally means to 
to do an about face and walk the other direction. Spirit-filled, anointed preaching brings conviction. His message wasn't this beautifully outlined three-point sermon. He said, repent, and their hearts were, their hearts were pierced. Change. And it literally just means the way you're going is the way to destruction, but the way God wants you to go is the way that's going to lead to everlasting life. Walk that way. Change your mind. Change your course. And I'm so thankful that there's room for repentance. What are we just seeing? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you truly believe in the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus? And by the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus, I mean that it is sufficient to cleanse and to eliminate and to remove completely all of your sin. When that truth becomes real to you, and that when you give your life to Christ, you don't just get the removal of sin, you get the adding of righteousness to your life, it changes everything. It changes everything. Notice all Judea and all the region around the Jordan came out to him. God is moving. God is moving. There's no striving. John didn't move. God had John where God wanted John. And God brought the people to John that God wanted out there. And this is no, for those of you who have been there, this was no easy trek for all these people. They heard something was going on. There's a guy named John the Baptist, and he's preaching with authority. And what, what was the identification of his ministry? Changed hearts. Lives were being changed. What were people given? People were given hope. What was the prophecy about him? That he will um, turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. A work was taking place. The Lord was coming. He was preparing the hearts. He was stirring the hearts of the people with this message of repentance. He was breaking up the fallow ground of the hearts of the people of God so that the truths of the message of Christ could come on fertile soil. It goes on in verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these are the religious leaders, these are the people who were of high stature, this is why God used John, because John was no respecter of persons. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, notice, if we see, I should say, most most people, when they see important people coming to their function, They make things ready and they get excited for these important people that are coming. John was completely the opposite. John saw all these important people coming, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, coming to his baptism. And he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? His message was firm. 
His message was strong. He didn't mince any words. And this is the type of Bible teaching that we need today. This is the type of preaching that we need today because we too are in a crisis hour. We can't afford to play games with the souls of men. And if the Lord has given us a, a message, if the Lord, we've all been given this message. And the power is not in the messenger. The power is in the message. That's why the, the Bible says in the book of Romans that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. But we need to be about his business if we're going, ever going to experience his power. And the message cuts because why? It cuts to the heart. It deals with the heart of the issue. And what does John do with the religious leaders? He sets them on a level playing field. They're not above everybody else. Under the authority of Scripture, they're on the same line as everybody else. And they too needed to repent. Verse 9, he says, And do you think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father? For I say to you that Abraham is able to raise up children from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, Every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Notice his message to these people. They were putting confidence in religion. They were putting confidence in in these familial ties, the father of their faith, in Abraham, that we are children of the covenant, but a new covenant's coming. And what he's saying is you can't put your confidence in flesh. You can't put your confidence in another man because everybody will have to stand alone on judgment day. And to everyone an account will be given. That's why he's saying bear fruit worthy of repentance because there will be a day when we are at the Bema Seat judgment of Christ where all of our works will be thrown into the fire and all of our, our works will be judged. But, but what is judged at the Bema Seat? Is it our works or it is, is it the motive of our works? It's the motive of our works. Why did we do what we do? Why did the religious leaders do what they did? To be seen by men. Right? Jesus is going to say in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. On the outside, you're like whitewashed sepulchers, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. He tells them you love the praises of men more than the praises of God because the message always deals with the heart. And he's telling them essentially the work that you're doing right now has no eternal value. And they've given their whole lives to this. To really understand the religious system is to understand all these laws and all these regulations and all these do's and all these don'ts and all these things that they were bound by. And in the eyes of God, they amounted to nothing. He says in verse 10, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. That's what we need in our lives. We need to get to the root of the problem. John was getting to the root of the problem. And it's your need for repentance. 
Oftentimes, you'll, you'll find the closer you get to God, the more you repent. Because the more you are aware, you're, you're spending time alone with Him and His Word, and His Word is speaking to you. His Word is convicting to you. And His Spirit, as you walk with Him, is showing you areas of your life that aren't yet Christ-like. And you find your, yourself repenting more. And you're not repenting out of condemnation. You're repenting out of a heart of gratitude because there's room for repentance. And because your doctrine's good, you're aware that, no, he, he is actually actively, he, he's forgiving you of your sin, and you find joy in repentance. And you say, Lord, I know that I'm this way, but I also believe that you don't only have the power to completely forgive me of my sins, but you've also given me the power to overcome my sins. That I don't have to be this way. That I truly am a new, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so when the axe is laid to the root of the tree in our lives, we should be thankful for that. And we should say, Lord, search me, know me. Show me the root of the problem in my life. Because I want to deal with it. Because I want to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Why? Because all of the, the, the fruit will be tested. It'll be judged. He says at the end of verse 10, he says, Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit, it is cut down. It is thrown into the fire. This is the same message that Jesus preached in John chapter 15. Every branch that abides in me, it bears fruit. But every branch that does not abide in me is cut down. It is thrown into the fire. And we need to ask ourselves, are we producing fruit or are we doing works? Are we doing works to be seen by men or is the fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in my life because I am simply abiding in Him? They were doing works to be seen by men because they certainly weren't abiding in, in, in a life-giving relationship with the Son of God. They didn't even believe in Him. But what needs to take place for us to bear these fruits that are worthy of repentance? A simplicity of heart, number one. Saying, Lord, I know that in me no good thing dwells. But I know that if I stay close to you, that you will just have your work in my life. You've never seen a fruit, a piece of fruit on a tree striving to come forth. It just happens because it's abiding in the source. We just need to stay close to him. We just need to stay simple. Secondly, if we're going to bear fruit that is worthy of repentance, we need to live a life of humility. And just say, Lord, I, I'm aware of who I am not. I'm aware that you're mightier than I am. I'm aware that you're greater than I am. And I'm aware that, that I don't know everything. And I'm aware that that you love me though, and I'm unworthy of it. And, if I, and you promise if I just stay close to you, Lord, you're gonna, have, you're gonna work out your will and your way in my life. But also to bear fruit worthy of repentance, we need to be people of faith. Maybe your faith is being tested right now. Maybe you've taken a step in your life and now you're questioning the step in your life. Go back. Go back to the moment you, choose, you chose to trust in the Lord. 
Trust in God is the expression of faith. And maybe your faith is being tested right now. The Lord has shown you something in your life. And your, te- your faith is being tested. Who tests faith? Isn't God the tester of faith? Doesn't the Lord allow our faith to be tested so that it can be refined and purified? God takes great care over the condition of your faith. So bearing fruit is not a hard thing to do. Bearing, fruit bearing comes from a life of simplicity, a life of humility, and a life of faith. This is everything that John the Baptist was. He was simple. He was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. He wasn't trying to fit in. He's being himself. He was also humble enough and content enough to to not draw men unto himself, but be content with whoever the Lord led. But he was also bold enough to operate in faith when the Lord called him. So he's telling this to these people, these religious leaders. And then he addresses the multitude in verse 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water, notice, unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy, or sandal strap, excuse me, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. Notice what the Lord will do. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So who is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit? It's Jesus himself. He says, I will baptize you with water unto repentance. What's the significance of water baptism? It is a step of faith. It is an outward expression of an inward reality. What you're saying when you repent, when you are baptized, getting baptized, is that you are dying to the old man. You're dying to the life that is governed by the flesh. You're reckoning that old man to be dead. You're considering that person that you were to be dead. And you're going to be raised in the newness of life by faith. And so you're to walk in the newness of life. That old man tries to rear its ugly head, but what does the Bible continue to say in Romans chapter 6? To don't let that sin be king in your life. Don't let the flesh be king in your life. Continue to bring it unto subjection to the power and to the authority of the Spirit. John is, the, is providing this baptism unto repentance. But he says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the promise. This is the promise that is to to all of us here tonight. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? You say, how can I know? If you you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, you would know. Not by some emotion, but there there was an encounter in your life where you recognized your need. You cried out to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came upon you, and you received power. The problem is we doubt the power because we can't feel it. Are you saved by faith or are you saved by feelings? Let's walk through this. When you gave your life to Christ and you came to an altar call or wherever you got saved, every time, when, when the emotion went away, did you walk away thinking you weren't saved anymore? No, you knew you were saved because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. 
Same is true when you ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what do you have to do to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Jesus says in Luke 11, if your, fathers know how to give, if your earthly fathers give you, know how to give you good gifts, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the, the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask and you will receive. Ask and you will receive. But the Holy Spirit, we must have a proper understanding of who the Holy Spirit is because sometimes we think that the Holy Spirit is just this this mystical force and, and He's not. He's a third person of the triune God. He's a third person of the Godhead. He is a person. He has a mind, He has a will, and He has emotions. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can bring pain to His heart. And what grieves the Holy Spirit? It's yours and mine continual rejection of His voice and His conviction in our life. And because he has emotion and you can hurt him, that should bring pain to your life and mine. But he also loves you. I don't know if you, if, if you need to hear that tonight, that the Holy Spirit loves you. And he convicts you because he loves you. And he wants to, the Bible, Jesus himself said, when the Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. He wants to reveal truth to you. He wants to come upon you to give you power over sin, to give you power over your flesh, to give you power for service. The Bible says that he's given you gifts. I can't imagine going through this Christian life, and I think this is one of the reasons why many Christians backslide and fail. It's because they don't know the gifts of the Spirit that the Lord has given them. So they don't operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they don't live a life of expectancy, and they're not seeking to be used by God. And when you're not seeking to be used by God, your Christianity is boring. Because we should wake up every day, though sometimes it's a battle saying, here I am, Lord, use me. I'm ready for whatever you have. And because you know how to use your gifts, because you're aware of your gifts, you're just operating in them flawlessly. But, but you can't do anything to earn the gifts. The gifts are given, but you have to receive them and you have to begin to use them. The Bible tells us to earnestly desire the best gifts. That we should be praying and saying, Lord, what are my gifts? Show me my gifts. There's 21 of them in the, in the Bible. You should know them. You should be praying for them. Because John is saying he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you and he will empower you for service. He will empower you. You, don't, you know that you don't have to let sin reign over you anymore? You know you don't have to struggle with sin anymore? You don't have to sin that's a biblical truth. You don't have to. You can allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in your life. And you can walk in the promised land and face the giants in the promised land and have victory. Am I talking about sinless perfection? Absolutely not. But I'm saying the sin that you're struggling with, you know that power has been provided to overcome if you'll simply heed the still small voice. Remember Elijah in the midst of his discouragement in 1 Kings 19. He just comes off this amazing, and this is pretty typical when the Lord uses you. There's some amazing moment where he uses you and then he takes you to some moment of just, just difficulty afterwards. And Elijah's under the, the, the broom tree and he's saying, Lord, take my life. He just called fire down from heaven. He just saw amazing work of God. He just killed the prophets of Baal, and now he's running from Jezebel. He says, I'm the only one left, Lord. 
And then he flees, and the Lord's gracious. The Lord feeds him in that moment. The Lord gives him what he needs. And then he flees, and he ends up in a cave. And what takes place? That the earthquake came. And the Lord says, the Bible says that the Lord was not in the earthquake. The fire comes. The Lord was not in the fire. Then the wind came, and the Lord was not in the wind. And then a still, small voice came. and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? We can't hear him because we don't try to hear him. But he is always speaking in the still, small voice. He wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you. But to the degree that you want to hear him, he's going to speak. That's why the, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God is always speaking. We're not always listening. He wants to assure you of the power that has been given to you. He will baptize you with power or excuse me, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does this mean, and with fire? It literally means to be baptized with fire means to to bring the fire of judgment upon uh, those who are due judgment. Because in context, look at what he's going to say next. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into barns. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He separates the wheat from the chaff. There will be a baptism with fire. The judgment of God will come and it will separate the wheat from the chaff. Remember, he's talking to these religious leaders. And what he's saying is, make yourself ready. Make yourself right. It says in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Notice he came for the specific reason of his baptism. Again, this is not a quick walk. He went there for a purpose. And he went to be baptized. It says, And John tried to prevent him, saying, I indeed need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. Again, it's just John's humility. He's aware of who he's not. He's aware that he's just playing the background. And we're the same. This is our ministry. Just play the background. Put Jesus on display. Lift Jesus up and watch what Jesus does. It says, But Jesus answered him and said, Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold... The heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly the voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know why this has always been amazing to me? The pleasure of God God the Father was upon the Son before any ministry work was ever recorded. He's just pleased with him. And you're a child of God too. Maybe you just need to hear that tonight. That if you're his child, he takes pleasure in you. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's worth noting, and I'll bring it up now, but many people will say, well, I don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, but we definitely see it in our text right now, right? The Son being baptized, the Spirit coming upon Him, and the Father speaking from heaven. We have the work of the Trinity here. 
in front of us. This amazing display. Remember who is here in this moment. It's all of Jerusalem. It's all of Judea. And all the people from the surrounding areas. The Spirit of God drew these people and provided the scene. And Jesus walked into it. And you would think, what would come next is the affirmation and the recognition of the people of the long-awaited Messiah. And you would think that this would be an opportunity for some great sermon or some great miracle or something. But it wasn't. Because next week we'll see that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days, he fasted and he was tempted. Where did John the Baptist come before his ministry took place? From the wilderness, right? Where was Jesus before his ministry began? In the wilderness, right? Don't despise the days of small beginnings. Because they're small in your eyes, but they're great in the eyes of the Lord. Where was Moses for 40 years before he went to Pharaoh? In the wilderness for 40 years. Where was Paul the apostle before his ministry began? In the desert of Arabia for 10 years. God's methods of preparing his people for his work are not our methods. He's a jealous God and the servant needs to learn to love him first. And the servant needs to learn to be content with him first. Lest the ministry become the master. And stop becoming servant unto the true master, the Lord himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word here tonight. Lord, thank you for your example. Thank you for the display of power. Thank you for your great love with which you love us. Thank you for your mercy and the gift of your spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray for all those who are desiring to be baptized with your spirit that you baptize us now, Lord. Lord, we need, for those of us who need a fresh filling, Lord, fill us afresh. Touch our lives, Lord. We need you. Go before us in power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.